1: Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast, if you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange-traded funds while you are in the right place. Every week, we're bringing you interviews and market analysis and breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani. Today on the show, we'll be delving into the world of ESG, environmental, social, and governance, with three experts in the field of ESG. We'll talk about what's behind the boom in assets this year, what's ahead for 2021, and why not all ESG funds, why they are not all created equal. Here's my conversation with Kim Arthur, the CEO of Maine Management, John Hale, the Global Head of Sustainability Research at Morningstar, and Linda Elling Lee, the Global Head of Research for MSCI's ESG Research Group. Linda, I want to start with you. Could you just sort of sum up ESG developments this year? I find it rather extraordinary. Two years ago, uh, everybody was interested in ESG, and there was really no money attached to it, that's really changed rather dramatically. Your thoughts uh, as we end 2020 and some brief thoughts on 2021.
2: Oh, absolutely. So 2020 has been an extraordinary year. Um, we were not necessarily expecting this to be the year where ESG really takes off, but clearly it has attracted a lot of attention, both in terms of the companies and what they're doing on, on from an ESG perspective, but certainly from a flows uh, point of view. Um, In terms of going into 2021, um, we did just publish our annual ESG Trends to Watch report, and really at the top of the list of what investors we think are going to be paying attention to, to in 2021 is actually the topic of climate change. Uh, and that's because, you know, despite all the lockdowns that we've had this year, we're still on track for a world that is going to be too warm to sustain life as we know it, according to climate science. And so, you know, I think that, you know, the, climate, the Paris Climate Agreement, which was signed five years ago, you're going to see lots more investors really um, shifting capital uh, towards less carbon intensive assets. So I think that, you know, one of the yeah. really big focus areas um, will be in, this, in, in climate change.
1: Yeah. I want to return to climate change and some other issues I think are going to be hot, like diversity. But, John, I wonder if you could just comment on just the whole ETF business uh, and what's going on um, with ESG in general. What's amazing to me is how much money some of these ESG funds, these ESG ETFs, have attracted uh, and also just how diverse they are in the different performances. So, for example, I see returns for the five largest ESG ETF funds out there. I see iShares USA Leaders ESG, um, SUSL, uh, is up 9%, and then I see the Vanguard ESG is up 21%. That's quite a a different diversity uh, in returns overall. Can you sort of address the fact that it's sort of hard to pin down exactly what ESG is when when you're actually buying these funds?
0: Yeah, that's interesting, Bob. I mean, you know, all ESG index funds certainly are not alike, and that's you know what we have on the ETF side of the ledger. There is, is our, our passively managed funds, but um, yeah, there is, there is a range. I mean, it ranges from you know what I would refer to, and actually, iShares has started doing this as well, to uh, sort of ESG aware portfolios that are just you know they're they're. They're sort of slightly tilted towards ESG, trying to focus a little more over, you know, in terms of overweighting uh, companies that do better on ESG measures, (laughs) underweighting those that don't. Um, And and while other uh, index uh, providers and index um, uh, funds are – you know, taking it a little bit further and maybe focusing more on ESG leaders, avoiding laggards altogether. Different ESG funds also have different um, exclusions that they use. So uh, they can be quite different. Um, I think the best way to think about it is that you know, you can, you can add ESG onto uh, a number of different investment styles and approaches. And, and even uh, in the case of uh, indexed investing, it's, it's sort of the, the same story there. So you can have kind of ESG light, um, a, a stronger ESG uh, uh, component, um, and you can also combine that with different types of, of uh, underlying investments.
1: Yeah, Kim, uh, you're you're the guy who manages money here. I mean, how do you address this problem um, when a client calls and says, "I want ESG or more ESG or less ESG," or and wants some advice? What do you what do you put them in? Do you have to ask what kind of ESG they're talking about. How do you, as a money manager, handle the diversity of ESGs that are out there?
3: Hey, Bob, thanks for having uh, having us on, and great to hear your voice. Uh, yeah, that is the big gorilla in the room there. First of all, as John just mentioned, there is no, like we, we subscribe to multiple databases. There is no easy button to screen for ESG. I can screen for sectors, geography, duration. Can't screen cleanup for ESG. So what ends up happening is there, since there is no standard definition, each client that comes in, it's almost a bumper sticker. Uh, some want exclusionary, they want no casinos. Some want single themes, they want uh, food production or plant-based protein uh, or lab-grown protein. Um, and then some want just best in class where, where, where it's almost a relative gain. So it's not easy, and I think that's one of the reasons that scalability has been a little more difficult because if I go to my client, uh, it, it, each one, again, like I said, that bumper sticker is sort of what they are looking for, and it's very unique and very individualized right now
1: yeah so Linda, how do you address that I mean you you're in charge of helping figure out ways to make ESG uh, more available to people um, some people will say look i want I want to go back the old fashioned way I, I don't want tobacco companies and I don't want energy companies Other people will say well listen i I, I want clean energy so if Occidental Petroleum is doing more clean energy work or has a lower carbon footprint uh, than than ExxonMobil, then maybe we should include that in an index. Uh, There's not a lot of agreement on on this. How how do you address that? Or are you just comfortable with the idea, you know, there's a diversity of voices out there, and let's see, you know, what the public really wants?
2: Look, I mean, you know... MSCI calculates over 1,500 ESG equity and fixed income indexes. And the reason there are so many and they're growing rapidly is because they provide choice and they provide choice to investors who want different approaches to incorporate ESG considerations. Now, um, sustainable so investments is just a very broad category. It's not a binary proposition of whether, you know, a company or a fund is ESG or not ESG, but now there are a number of industry bodies and regulators, particularly outside of the U S that are pushing to standardize the market towards A common language describe some of the key subcategories that are under sustainable investment umbrella, and that's going to help allocators make choices. So, for example, you know, a core subcategory is ESG integration approaches. So those are the financially focused ones that are only considering material ESG issues, which ignore a lot of other ESG topics that some investors might care about personally, but they're not financially material. So this subcategory has probably gained the largest traction um, because they've shown strong performance. They don't necessarily um, entail too much deviations from the broad market returns, but that you also have ESG approaches that are designed to increase exposure to narrower themes like clean I technology or diversity. So those are closer to you know thematic indexes or strategies. Um, and yeah. then, as you said, there are ESG approaches that are more traditional. They're more ethically, you know, oriented, and you can screen for businesses with activities some some investors object to, uh, whatever that is. It could be child labor, it could be tobacco, and those. It's really important to know that those screens are not incorporated into indexes or funds, with the goal enhancing risk of performance with the goal of aligning with investors' ethical values. So it's really important not to mix the apples and oranges when you're talking about these different ethical strategies that may or may not have any element of incorporating financially material ESG factors. So I think the standardization around these subcategories of ESG investments, they are going to help allocators to be clearer about what it is they're choosing or not choosing with respect to both the ESG exposures that they're taking on, as well as the risk and return profiles that they should or should not be, you know, expecting from any given approach
1: yeah you, you know uh, John it sort of makes sense what Linda is saying I mean she's at MSCI and of course MSCI is investor agnostic their their position is we we provide the tools and you decide what you want but I'm wondering how what you see here um, is there any indication that investors want a specific kind of ESG I'm just talking about follow the money I mean or do they want yeah uh, you know it's as, as Linda said some just just want more traditional things? I want to exclude uh, 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 carbon uh, companies that have bad carbon footprint or uh, uh, too high a carbon footprint? Uh, or is there new stuff emerging? What is the public indicating that they actually want, John?
0: Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great question and great comment so far. I mean, I, I, I always urge um, uh, financial advisors to simplify this, I mean one thing that I think has happened in recent years, as we've seen uh, more and more uh, interest in sustainable investing uh, come up, is that the early adopters, the ones that come into a, a advisor's office and say, you know, I want an ESG portfolio, I want a sustainable portfolio. They're the ones that are going to maybe thought this through, and maybe they do have a set of very specific sustainability preferences that they want to then, you know, they want their advisor to then address for them. That can be hard because it creates, you know, kind of a, a momentum for like, a, you know, bespoke portfolios for every single client, and every single client can't really have a bespoke portfolio. Um, but I think as uh, as this becomes more mainstream and more people just become, you know, aware of the fact that yes, I'm someone that has a sustainability preference, you know, to, to the way that I um, buy any product or service out there, and I've learned that I could do this in my investments. That's really what a lot of people are bringing to the table now, and so what they're looking yeah. for from their financial advisor is them to say, okay, you, we can do this, and. Here's my recommendation for, for 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 what you're interested in. So a lot of times, I think when somebody has a specific issue that they bring up and they come to the table with, that may just be the only issue that they you know know to bring up. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be opposed, for instance, to a you know broad-based diversified portfolio that emphasizes. Uh, you know, ESG uh, kind of broadly speaking and not necessarily focused just on a, on a list of things that they, you know, personally would want to uh, excise from their portfolios.
1: Kim, same question for you. I mean, what are you, it sort of goes back to the question I asked you before, but what are you, what are you telling people? You know, they want ESG. What are you recommending? What, what do you see they want? Is, is the public voting with, with, their, with their feet in terms of what style of ESG they want?
3: Yeah, Bob, definitely. I think um, there's clearly a huge overlap with ESG and quality and growth. That's good. And that means if we look, if we break the E and the S and the G up and take the two bookends, the E, the environmental that we talked about, that tends to be companies that are disruptive technologies that are doing something good. I'd mentioned before food production, plant-based protein or lab-grown protein, that's going to be less water that's used, less land that's used, less methane gas that's going to be emitted. So that's a growth industry because it's disruptive and and people are moving that direction. And then when you look at the quality side, that kind of covers the G, the governance side. And, again, it's historically been that uh, governance is best practices, and that means, like for myself, I'm a fiduciary, um, and if I or the companies I'm investing in are treating employees well and treating the clients well and treating the community well, those companies are probably going to do well. And so I think what ends up happening from a broad based perspective, Bob, we get people will come in and you look at something like DSI. Uh, which is the, probably one of the oldest ESGs, mm-hmm. um, but it's two-thirds technology, healthcare, and consumer discretion. It's for, and it's a reason. Those are the quality and the growth areas that come out of it. And then if you look into, into the ESG emerging, the ESGE, which is only about four years old, well, that's overseas emerging. It's about 53%. Um, it's actually outperformed its peer yeah. in the emerging market category. So we definitely have that. Um, uh, We've seen people for animal, pet care, P-A-W-Z, paws, right? That's doing something good for themselves, doing something good for the animals. Um, So I I think we're seeing a lot of that. And we have a a sector rotation strategy, S-E-C-T, that's the same thing. Technology, healthcare, consumer discretion, about two-thirds, and a lot of them are EFT-compliant pieces.
1: And yet, uh, John, am I being curmudgeonly by pointing out that among the largest ESG ETFs out there, they all own essentially the same things in terms of their top holdings. Look at the top five or six ESG ETFs, uh, U.S. based. They all own Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Google, Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, Visa, and most of them own Tesla as well. Uh, These are all great companies, but there is a... Am I being curmudgeonly pointing this out? I think a lot of people would be shocked to find out that Microsoft is such an ESG favorite. And so is Apple, yeah. for example. Well,
0: I, you know, I think it, it is true that that, that when, when coming to the table, I think a lot of investors uh, think that they may be uh, asking for... A- you know, really fundamentally different kind of portfolio than they would otherwise be getting in a standard, you know, in a standard market-based uh, mutual fund. But I think that the, the, it's probably better to, to both, you know, explain to, to to those investors as well as just to think of it in these terms that it's really you know an investment first, and the ESG tilt is 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 secondary to it. I mean, primarily what you're doing it's like buying a it's like buying a Tesla. You know, you're primarily buying a car. Right and and so um, I think with your investments you still need and most investors still need right you know core exposure to major asset classes in the marketplace and you can do this through traditional investments you can do it with uh, an ESG tilt and the advantages i think of having esg tilt are as kim mentioned the, the sort of long term quality component i think if there's anything that esg indicates that's that's one of the things it does indicate it also in, tends to include or or in, in terms of probably overweighting in most cases a um, uh, exposure to the um, the you know sort of cutting edge companies that are going to be delivering the the products that are going to really drive a sustainable economy in the future um, and then there's also this other component called uh, that we call stewardship or active ownership or or uh, shareholder engagement that some esg uh, uh, investments do more so than others, and this can be very impactful as as investors are yeah. essentially pooling their money and the and the uh, investment manager is engaging with companies about their ESG practices, encouraging them uh, to do yeah. better. And we've, we've seen a lot of yeah. uh, indications of, that that's been successful. It's been happening more often. Yeah. The, the proxy voting is more uh, – there's more shareholders voting proxies in favor of ESG resolutions now. And so that's a yeah. differentiating factor that uh, could also be uh, – uh, you know, come, that could also come into play in selecting investments yeah. that are ESG-oriented.
1: You, the, I, I think, just to conclude my curmudgeonly commentary on this, I'm not the first one to notice that the biggest ESG funds tend to mimic quality funds, Q-U-A-L, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and that probably is a good thing, but I, I stand by my assertion that a lot of people be very surprised to find out that Microsoft and, and Apple and Google are favorites of the, of the ESG uh, investing. Uh, Linda, let me just uh, move on to you. A, a before we conclude, I just want to get your thoughts on another key area uh, of ESG, and that's uh, diversity. So NASDAQ announced uh, diversity targets uh, for their boards of directors or companies that list uh, on NASDAQ. The theme here, they seem to be trying to nudge companies uh, along on the diversity issue and hiring women on the board. Um, Linda, what did NASDAQ do? And, and how successful do you think that kind of nudging is going to be? Is that what we're going to be seeing uh, in the future, that kind of action?
2: Well, the diversity push will only get stronger. I think the NASDAQ um, move is one example of that. Now, um, oddly, you know, the progress actually has been extremely slow, even though we've already seen this kind of push for several years. Um, So our research team at MCI just published our annual Women on Boards Progress Report, which we've been doing since 2009. And what we've seen is actually there's been a slowdown. Um, in the rate of increase for female representation on boards, uh, with a gain of only 0.6 percentage points among constituents of the MSCI Equity Index. Um, and if you take this kind of trend of progress over the past four years, and you project it forward, it's going to take until like 2029 for women to comprise 30% of the corporate boards. So I think that the kinds of moves that you're seeing um, uh, at Nasdaq um, and maybe among some of the larger um, institutional investors that are that are agitating in some ways to to um, push progress along is because the progress actually has been pretty slow. Um, So I I definitely think that this is an area that will continue to get a lot of scrutiny.
1: So, Linda, we hit briefly on environmental uh, and we hit briefly on diversity. What else in 2021 are going to be hot themes? I mean, that seems to be very clear, environmental issues, climate particularly, as well as diversity. Those seem like very obvious hot topic buttons for 2021, particularly with the new administration coming in. But w- what else might be on the, on the broad ESG palette that could come to the fore as a major issue? Any, anybody can jump in. But Linda, let me start with you.
2: Well, I think that diversity is the one that is really specific. However, the larger topic is really around inequality more generally, right? So, COVID has had this effect of really shining a light on the health and the economic disparities um, in our society. Uh, We expect that the incoming administration's focus on economic inclusion and on social issues is going to mean that companies should not really take their social license to operate for granted. Um, we have seen this year that investors you know, of all sizes, from the largest pension funds to retail investors, they care about how companies treat, not just their workers uh, and how diverse their workforce is, um, but whether their businesses um, prey on consumers or suppliers, or whether they actually create value that is shared across stakeholders. So we think that this is really actually going to amplify and intensify over the coming years. And in response, what we're seeing is that. That companies are going to get more creative about how they can actually better beef up their social credentials with investors in the public and maybe actually get out of the crosshairs of policymakers. Um, you're going to see, I think, growth in new types of financing instruments, um, like social impact bonds or sustainability bonds, and even sort of share issuances that are linked to sustainability goals. So, so these are ways that companies are, um, are, are taking to make a more direct link between its business um, and the social value that it brings more broadly.
3: Yeah, just one other thing that what Linda was talking about. If you think about the inclusiveness, and I'm looking at the big globe as a whole, 7.7 billion people, four plus are connected, three are not connected yet. Again, it drives towards technology connecting these people, bringing them into the ecosystem. We've all seen what what a what what a Siri or a, or a smartphone does when you take it out to somewhere. TO A SMALL VILLAGE IN AFRICA, AND ALL OF A SUDDEN THERE'S SOMEBODY WHO MAY NOT BE LITERATE, ALL OF A SUDDEN THEY CAN MOVE UP THE FOOD CHAIN DRAMATICALLY BY BEING ABLE TO TALK AND GET THINGS DONE. SO I THINK AGAIN, and THAT'S WHY IT DRIVES TOWARDS THE FUTURE. TECHNOLOGY KEEPS PLAYING A BIGGER AND BIGGER ROLE BECAUSE IT'S ENABLING MORE INCLUSIVENESS AND A BROADER REACH.
1: OKAY. THANKS VERY MUCH, GUYS. Uh, JOHN, APPRECIATE IT. LINDA, KIM, uh, ALWAYS A PLEASURE TO TALK TO ALL OF YOU. Now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs. This is our Markets 102 portion of the podcast. Today, we'll be continuing the conversation with John Hale from Morningstar. John, thanks very much for sticking around and having an extended conversation on ESG. This is what you do for a living, covering the whole ESG space. I'm wondering what you might see uh, happening in terms uh, of of the SEC in 2021. Uh, one of the commissioners there, uh, Democratic commissioner, Allison Heron Lee, um, published a, a paper and has suggested that the SEC should make inquiries about what policies companies have about climate change. This is very interesting to me. I mean, in, in, this is not really regulation. They're make, simply making an inquiry saying to the company, well, could you tell us what of any policies that you have? Can you comment on that? This seems very interesting to me because there's no real regulations. They can say you're not enforcing. They could just ask about it. But isn't this a form of nudging nudging as well? Y- your thoughts.
0: Yeah, so, Bob, I, I, I mean, I do think we're going to see moves by, if, if not just the SEC, then from the Biden administration more generally uh, towards a greater disclosure on the part of, Uh, corporate entities on on climate risk uh, in in the coming years. And, you know, the SEC will have to decide what form that takes, whether it's, uh, you know, at first an inquiry might be sort of, uh, you know, information gathering on their part uh, uh, ahead of a a potential uh, disclosure requirement. But I think that, uh, you know, we're seeing uh, quite a lot of movement in that direction. Uh, It's happening in Europe, I think, both uh, in just already with the SEC they're uh, both investor and asset management advisory councils which you know pr- you know provide advice and guidance and recommendations to the SEC have recommended uh, some form of, of uh, climate disclosure so I think we're going to see uh, that being looked at very closely uh, in the next administration in the SEC
1: yeah. So what's interesting here is the there's a jurisdictional question. Do they even have the jurisdiction to ask this? So you know, there's a certain mandate they have to maintaining fair and orderly markets and protecting consumers. And obviously, there are people some people there who feel, well, part of our mandate is you know to protect consumers is basically to inquire about climate change because that's an issue for consumers. I would say that's a fairly interpreting interpreting a mandate fairly broadly. Uh, Wouldn't you, John? I mean, are there people going to push back and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is not part of the mandate of the SEC?
0: Yeah, no, I think think that uh, the SEC has um, a mandate to uh, help make sure investors have the kinds of information that they need to make good investment decisions. And so I think that that, that something like climate risk disclosure kind of hangs on that uh, idea, uh, and and you know i think we've seen uh I- examples uh, uh w- you know with their advisory councils they're not asking the sec to do things that are outside of their mandate they're saying you know this is this is what a significant uh, portion of investors uh would like to see and you know the reason that 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 we need to see it, I think, is uh, to help standardize that information for investors, so that it, you know it doesn't come from all kinds of different ratings agencies and, and different companies doing it different ways. I think uh, increasingly we'll we'll actually see um, companies wanting to have you know a standard for how they need to report this kind of information. Uh, and and so. Uh,
1: yeah. So you you we, think the, the you think this could be helpful in if the SEC got more involved in this towards standardization of, of what exactly ESG is that's a very interesting yep. idea I would yep. I'd support it just just for that I, I guess I just have a I, I understand people who say well, well wait a minute here um, just the process of you asking the question oh we're not telling you you're violating anything we're just asking a question what do you, what if any policy do you guys have on Climate change, for example, right. Uh, and and, and you know, I think the- uh, just asking that question in a sense, is forces the company to say, "Well, what policies do we have, and are we doing anything that we should not be doing, or or should we be doing something else?" It's a nudge in in a way, um, and I understand people who say this may be a nice policy to have, but is it necessarily within their Within their their jurisdiction, I know you answered the question, but I'm, I'm, it's an issue that floats out there.
0: Well, yeah, and I think you know the watchword here is materiality, right? I mean, so so, and some of the some of the uh, you know opposition voices to this um, are saying might say, you know, it'd be great for companies to tell us more about their, you know, environmental and social policies that they have, but. It, it, for for the sec to require disclosure of that nature um it, it, there needs to be some nexus to financial materiality to the for companies you know is this is this information that will help investors materially as they make their investments and luckily what's been happening and uh, for the last uh, 10 years or so is that a group of investors called the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board (SASB) and and it rhymes with Fasby for a reason um, has been you know sort of painstakingly going about the the task of saying going industry by industry and saying what are the material uh, ESG issues that each industry faces and let's develop. Um, a framework for how to report around those issues. So, um, the, SASB has been working on this for uh, about a decade now, and, and you know you can go to their website, SASB.org, and see their what they call their materiality matrix: what issues are material to what industries. And I think it forms a uh, you yeah. know a pretty good template for uh, uh, companies to to disclose material ESG uh, risks. Yeah.
1: And what is the website there? Is it sasb.org?
0: sasb.org, yeah.
1: Okay. Well, anybody who's interested can check that out. I certainly support moving towards clearer standards of what constitutes uh, ESG. I want to go back to the question we had in the show, and and I'm sorry to keep picking on this, but can you explain how it is that there are 10 or 15 stocks that show up on all of these ESG screens all the time, and, and they're mostly... Quality large cap quality stocks. It's the Googles, Amazon, Microsoft, Procter and Gamble, uh, Visa, uh, Tesla. Why do they all keep showing up? Yeah. Are they are, are they really all that good on an ESG screen? Is there nothing else that's out there? It just sort of surprises me.
0: Yeah. Well, I, you know the the way the the, the 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 most of the company ESG ratings. Uh, and assessments work that, and, and these are kind of the underlying basis for a lot of the ESG indexes. Is that um, you'll go company, you'll go uh, industry by industry and look at the, the best practices again on, on material ESG issues. Within each industry, so every industry's got kind of a different uh, sort of uh, footprint, if you will, of of their material ESG issues. And as you evaluate the the the, the programs and the operations and just sort of the uh, ongoing experience of the different companies on these issues, they you know they kind of shake out from a best in class to to worst in class. It's not always something that every ESG rater agrees on, but in some of those. Uh, cases yeah. that you mentioned—that's that typically is the case, uh, and so it's not surprising uh, to me that you find some of these same companies in ESG indexes, you know, across different ESG indexes. Now, the other thing that can happen, though, and this is why it's important to really understand, you know, how any, a, any particular ESG index is structured, is that some are just what I would call tilted indexes. So they may have all of the same companies in the index that a standard index has but they're just overweighting certain companies and underweighting other companies in the index. So um you know yeah. it's it, it's it's somewhat difficult to tell but but when you're investing in an ESG index you're actually not investing in Solely in the Teslas of the world, the, the the companies that are making products that are specifically, you know, products that are going to take us into a, you know, that are going to flourish into in a low carbon um, economy. Um, you're investing in companies that uh, are judged to have the best overall uh, set of ESG <clears throat> practices relative to their industry peers, and yes, those tend to be. Quality companies. In fact, one way to look at it is to say that you know, until we had ESG data at hand, really the only way we could assess quality in a company is through financial metrics and through sort of very qualitative uh, assessments uh, on the ground by analysts. You know, going to the company, kicking the tires, figuring figuring out how well they you know they they yeah. like management and think management's effective. ESG data really is it's not financial data. Uh, about companies, it's not data about stocks and stock performance. It's about company operations, how they how they run their business um, in, in, in yeah. these different areas. So um, it's it, yeah, it's no. It's are are no we are surprise we making... It's a quality oriented thing,
1: right? It, are we making progress towards quantifying? qualitative measurements. By that, I mean, a lot of this is qualitative. You know, it has to do with, you know, particularly when you get down to like leadership, for example, what do people think of the board? How much leadership, you know, is the board providing? How active is it in the community, for example? These are qualitative measurements. Is there ways to quantify that and and assign a score to it? Are we getting better at doing that?
0: Um, Yes, I would say absolutely we're getting better at it. I mean, if you, you know, I think we're, we're getting better at it as a, uh, you know it, in the big picture too with big with 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 big data and being able to to bring um data to bear on areas that we didn't maybe think we could we could do uh in, in the past i think um however, on the other hand this is also one of the reasons why um all esg uh ratings or evaluations don't agree with each other because at, at base at least some of the Uh, 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 attributes that you're trying to measure are qualitative in nature, you know, and so um, you're going to, you're not going to find a a, a consensus you may find a consensus on, on uh, ESG uh, for a company, but you're not going to find, you know, absolute agreement all the time.
1: Yeah, good point. All right, John, thank you very much for joining us. You've uh, extended our knowledge and information base. We really appreciate that. Uh, you sticking around for us. And thank you, the listeners, yep. for tuning into our ETF Edge podcast each week. You know, we're going to be dark the next couple of weeks, but we'll be back January 4th, 2021. Remember, in the meantime, you can always send us your questions or topic ideas. Tweet us at ETF Edge CNBC. Happy holidays, everybody. Take care.